We are going to begin a study of the book of Hosea. And when I say that, I know this is how you feel about that. Anytime we come to the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, we feel as though it's irrelevant. God spoke to the ancient Israelites almost 3,000 years ago, and we reason, I'm not an Israelite, I'm not 3,000 years old, so why do I need to listen to what was said to them? And also, they're very repetitive. Very, 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 very repetitive. Uh, basically, the message of all the prophets is this. You have sinned against God. Repent. If you don't repent, there will be judgment. But even if there's judgment, God will restore. And that's basically the message of all the prophets. And so I often wondered, why does God have so many books of the Bible that kind of say the same thing? And then I thought about this. How many times have I done what I'm supposed to be, do the first time I'm told? You think about that. Uh, when you were a child, did you always do what was right the first time you were told? Even as an adult, do you do it right the first time when God tells you to do something? Probably not. Now, husbands, maybe you've learned to be better at that when your wife tells you to do something, to do it right the first time. I don't know, maybe you've learned that. But uh, we still need to be told over and over and over and over again the same thing because we don't listen or we don't obey. And of course, in the Old Testament, these prophets spoke over many generations. So don't get the impression that all of them spoke to one generation. It was over the course of decades. And so one generation needed to hear the message. The next one did as well, and the next one, and the next one. Hosea wrote... Excuse me, the other thing about the Old Testament prophets is that they are to be an example to us. You see, Paul tells us, now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about Moses and the hard-headed, stiff-necked people he had to lead. And Paul tells us, basically, there's the easy way to learn and the hard way to learn. The hard way to learn is to make a bunch of mistakes and do a lot of bad things and wrong things and learn the consequences, and then you learn what is right to do. The easy way to learn something is let someone else make all the mistakes. Okay? You watch what they do. You watch them make mistakes. You watch them fall into sin. You look at the consequences of their life. You watch it, you observe it, and you learn from it. And that is the easy way to learn. You don't do what they do. And so Paul says the Old Testament is like that in many ways. They're an example to us. We look at their example and we learn not to do what they did so that we can learn lessons the easy way. Paul also tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 3.16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it, from the first verse in Genesis to the last one in Revelation, all of it is profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if we are to be thoroughly equipped, we need to take in all of God's Word. And that's why we'll take in the book of Hosea. Hosea, his name means salvation. 
His name is similar to the Hebrew word Joshua. Said in Hebrew as Yeshua. Said in Greek as Jesus. Said in English, Jesus. All those words mean the same. Salvation. A very appropriate name for the prophet as he explained to the people how they should return to the Lord. He prophesied for about 40 years, primarily to the northern kingdom of Israel. As you can see from this chart, he was one who was one of the first writing prophets. Of course, there were prophets before Amos and Hosea and Isaiah and Micah, but we don't have their messages in writing recorded for us as Scripture. But we have theirs. And so this was early on, but it was a message to a kingdom, the northern kingdom, that was about to be destroyed because of their disobedience to God. I think the whole book, Hosea's message, can be summarized with this one verse. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. In other words, come back. When we think of repentance, I think sometimes we think of the moment of salvation. There is a moment when we hear the good news, we hear the gospel. We hear that we are sinners, we hear that Jesus died on the cross for that sin, that he paid the penalty, that he rose again to life, and we hear the call, repent, turn to God, confess your sin, believe in Jesus, receive the gift of eternal life, and you will be saved. We hear that word and we think, well, I did that. Why do I need to hear it again? Well, because the call to repentance is a call that we need to continually hear. Because we do wander from God even when we are his child and even when we are saved, even when heaven is our home, when we die, we still wander from God. Sometimes it is sin. Sin always separates our fellowship with God. Even we as believers, as Christians, when we sin, that fellowship's broken. And we must confess and repent and return to God. But it doesn't even have to be sin that calls us to repentance. Simply laziness. Because not doing what God calls us to do is also sin. So you can be a Christian who's not blatantly overtly sinning in evil ways. You could just be a Christian sitting on your hands on your couch. And that's sin. And you need to hear the words come back. Sometimes you're doing things, but it's the same things you've always been doing. And you're stuck in a rut and you're complacent because God is calling you to, to do different things, but you don't hear Him. But you need to hear the word to come back to God. And often we're distracted by busyness, by responsibilities, by family, by hobbies, by sports. It could be anything in life that distracts us from God. And when we're pursuing those things and focused on those things and doing those things and we are not listening and following God, we need to hear the words come back. And maybe we've even got to the point where we don't even hear God anymore. He speaks and our fingers are in our ears. We don't hear him. So I guess it's going to be hard to hear him say, come back. So get your fingers out of your ears so you can hear him say, come back to me. 
We are in the midst of a pandemic. And I know this to be true. The virus is real. The virus is deadly. The virus should be a concern of ours. But I feel that this virus has become too much of a focus. And the focus has been on not getting the virus. You see me, I wear masks. I've been vaccinated. I've had COVID. So I know that it's real. But I'm afraid that the virus itself has become, at the least, a distraction. And for some, an idol. Because we have made the focus, some have made the focus of all their decisions based on whether or not what they do is going to get them the virus or expose someone else to the virus. Rather than doing things based on what God tells us to do. That's where our focus should always be. And I have been frustrated for a couple years of my own life. And for the life of all of Christendom, all the churches. That I feel like a lot of our decisions, personally and as a church, have been focused on a virus rather than focused on God. When God tells us to do something, we do it. Whether there's a virus or a pandemic or not. So when I thought about that, it brought to mind the prophets who are calling the people to come back. And even if coming back doesn't mean coming back from a life of sin, maybe it means coming back from complacency, come back from laziness, come back from not listening to me because all you've been doing is doing nothing and you've been focused on a virus, come back to me and listen to me. I know that there are some who should not be gathering with other people. Well, don't do it when it's dangerous for you. But I also know there's a lot of people making excuses for why they're not doing what God's called them to do. They're making excuses for why they're not gathering with other Christians, and they're using the virus as a convenient one. If that is you, hear the words, come back. That is the message of Hosea. And the message begins in chapter 1 with a picture, an illustration. You see, God and the Israelites made a covenant. They made a promise to each other. Isn't that what a marriage is? It's a covenant between husband and wife. They make promises. They exchange vows. That's part of every marriage ceremony. So the Israelites and God... They exchanged vows. God gave them the law, what to obey. They gave, he gave them his word. And he said, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will discipline you. The Israelites said, okay, we'll sign on the dotted line. We'll do it, God. We will follow you. We will obey you. And we will take the consequences if we disobey. And so a marriage in a sense, metaphorically was made between God and the Israelites. But the Israelites broke their vows. They didn't worship God exclusively. They worshipped other gods and false idols. And they disobeyed God. And so, in a real sense, they broke the covenant. They broke the vows. So God uses the illustration then, well, you have broken the marriage by becoming an adulterer. 
For example, Jeremiah 3.9 says, Indifferent to her prostitution, she defiled the land and committed adultery. This is how God saw the Israelites and their relationship to Him. They were adulterers. And so God wanted to show them what they had been doing by using an illustration in real life of Hosea. So God tells Hosea, Go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. There's controversy about what God actually told Hosea to do. I don't believe that God told him, go and find a prostitute and marry her. I believe he told her him to marry a woman who has an unfaithful character. Isn't it true that that's a characteristic of some people? Some people, their character is loyalty and faithfulness. And other people only care about themselves. So they're not loyal to others. They're not faithful to others. So I believe that's what he was commanded to do, to marry a person of this character. Because that was Gomer's character, in time, her character was revealed. And they were married, and at some point in their marriage, she was unfaithful and was an adulterer. I'm thankful I have never experienced that. I try to imagine, but I know that it's hard to imagine what it's like. And if you are someone who has been in a marriage where your spouse has cheated on you, committed adultery, abandoned you, I am sorry, and I don't fully understand it, but I know what it's like to love, and I can sort of imagine how hard it would be to love someone with my whole life for them only to reject me and love someone else. That's how God felt, and he wanted the people to realize how much they had hurt him and abandoned him and forsaken him. Chapter 1, we're told that they had three children. A son named Jezreel. Why that name? God said, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu, and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel and the valley of Jezreel. The son is named Jezreel because that is where God is going to finally discipline Israel, if they will not repent and put an end to their nation. Their daughter is named Lo-Ruhamah, no mercy, because God says this, I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. And their son, Lo-Ami, not my people, because God says, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. So, in the naming of their children, And the marriage that Hosea and Gomer had is a picture of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And you see in the names of the children the discipline and the judgment that's about to come on the nation because they will not come back. Well, that's not the end of the story. For God says to Hosea, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man, and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. 
Let me explain the last three words. It sounds like they like little Debbies and God's upset with them. The main God that they worshipped was a false God called Baal. And Baal had a consort, or in a sense a wife, and her name was Asterish. And the way that she was worshipped was by baking raisin cakes and offering them to her as a sacrifice. So that's what God is upset about. They're worshipping Baal and Asherah. And he says, even though you have done that, and even though you have abandoned me, Hosea, go and get Gomer and bring her back home. So I bought her says Hosea, for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. And I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way toward you. And Hosea going and getting Gomer and bringing her back, God has illustrated to the nation, you have left me, and you will be disciplined for it if you do not return. But in the end, I will bring you back to me. I will restore you because I love you. That shows the faithful, loyal love of God. This faithful, loyal love of God means that he loved his people even though they left him. And it's true for us as Christians today too. We disobey God, we wander from Him, we in a sense abandon Him, and when we do so, we are like adulterers. But God does not abandon us, He does not leave us, He's always with us, calling to us to come back to Him. And that's what I want us to hear, because a lot of the preaching of Hosea is often focused on how much God loves us. And I want to shout that from the mountaintop. He does. But because he loves us, we are supposed to respond likewise with love and faithfulness and devotion. In the New Testament, Jesus is the groom and we, the church, are the bride. So again, there is this illustration of a relationship. I could ask you and we could debate, we could talk about why Israel was a wife and we're engaged why okay, we're not married yet, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. The illustration is the same, isn't it? Even when you're engaged, you're to be faithful and loyal to your fiancé. And so, I love this verse in First Peter. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where have we heard those words? From Hosea. The words, lo Ramah and lo Ami, no mercy. Not my people. Peter is saying, before you were saved, that's who you were. You were outside of the family of God. You had not received the grace and mercy of God. You were not the children, the people of God, because you weren't saved yet. But when you put your faith in Jesus, you became part of the family. And you experienced the love and mercy of God. And now, you are God's people. Now, you know what His mercy is. So what do we do? If we've experienced the faithful love of God, we are to love Him back with loyalty and faithfulness. Jesus said it this way, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
These words are a quotation from Deuteronomy. The book of the Bible where Moses is reminding the new generation that you have a covenant with God. He is your God. You are his people. This is how you respond. Jesus says this sums up the law. He says the other part that sums up the law is love your neighbor as yourself. But this is our response to a loving God. To love him with everything we have. Everything we are. And if you're not loving God in that way, you need to hear the words, come back. And Jesus had these words for the church in Ephesus. He had a messenger send a letter. And I've always thought it would be neat, but also terrifying if we would open our email tomorrow morning and it was a message sent from heaven from Jesus, specifically for Olive Branch Baptist Church. That would be exciting and terrifying, but the church in Ephesus got one. And Jesus commended them for what they were doing and how they were holding firm to the truth. But then he said this, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. See, there was a time in the Ephesian church that they loved God with everything they had. And they were close to God. But now that wasn't the case. And it can be true for a church. It can be true for us as individuals. We can look back in the past and see at times we were close to God. At times we loved Him with everything we had. But we look at today and we say it's not the case anymore. When that's the case, God doesn't say, well, let's see. You loved me pretty well for 10 years. You get 10 years off now. You're going to do whatever you want. No, he doesn't say that. What did he say to the church at Ephesus? He commended them. You have done well in the past. You have loved well in the past. So what do you do today, Ephesus? He says, come back. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I want you to hear that as a letter from Jesus to you and to this church today. Maybe it's exactly what you need to hear. Because as you examine your life, maybe it's the life now that's distracted, complacent, lazy, filled with sin, or filled with inattention, and you need to come back. Maybe your testimony of your walk with God is everything that's happened in the past and nothing that's happening now. You need to hear the words, come back. And the warning from Jesus to the church in Ephesus was, if you don't come back, you're not going to be around anymore. That was a stern warning to a church that had loved and loved well. And a church that had done great things. But they had fallen so far. They needed to come back. Or risk having no witness whatsoever. I want you to think about that. And I want you to respond to the Lord right now. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. If God is saying to you, come back. Do it right now. After I pray, and as we sing, this altar will be open. You can come and pray. Talk to God yourself. 
I'll be here if you want to pray with me, but it'll be a time to respond. Let's, uh, let's pray, then let's sing. Father, my prayer is simple this morning, that myself, my brothers and sisters, we would be honest before you. I pray that where we have fallen, we would repent. And Lord, I pray that we would heed your warning given to the Israelites, given to the church in Ephesus, that when we are far from you and we don't come back, that may be the end of our testimony. Lord, may it not be so. May we come back and may you have greater and mightier things to do in us in the life of our church. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.